How are you guys feeling tonight? Um, I guess the Emmaus staff and a lot of you guys got the memo that we are supposed to wear some sort of chambray outfit today. Uh, for all of you that wore, thank you. That's great. And I was told that I look like a Smurf, but um, I want to correct that because it's Papa Smurf. Thank you very much. <laughs> Only the one with the authority wears the red pants, right? Uh, <laughs> I think last time I was here, I like straight up cried just because... I was so thankful for what God has done here at KU. Um, And I shared a little bit about the history of how this campus even got birthed, uh, understanding that this was something that was prophesied years ago before I had any idea that God wanted to expand Emmaus to other campuses. Uh, We started off at Yonsei University, and right now we are at four campuses, Yonsei and Iwa. uh, They worship together. We launched one at Seoul National University, and now you guys are our newest uh, campus at Korea University. And, man, I'm just so, so excited to be here tonight and to give you guys a word. Um, You know, I'm a dreamer. I dream a lot. And uh, if you guys read scripture, God speaks through dreams. And I don't know about you, but if I were you, I would get into the habit of writing some of your dreams down. One thing that I do want to mention is not all dreams are God-given. I can tell you a lot of dreams that I know was not of the Lord. It was because I ate McDonald's at 2 o'clock in the morning, fell asleep, got all those chemicals, and had some crazy dreams. But I do also get dreams that when I wake up, it makes me curious, and, and I have this kind of... Hmm, I think I should write that one down. And uh, often I may not understand what the dream means fully at that moment, but I take some time, I pray about it, I read through scripture. Uh, I have a couple of books that um, talk about dreams that God gives and different symbolisms and things like that that you can find in scripture and whatnot. Uh, For some of you that might be news, you have um, thought that your dreams meant absolutely nothing or that looking into your dreams is something that's new agey. You know, there's those dream dictionaries. Even before I gave my life back to the Lord after a season of backsliding, I was, like, really into dreams. So I would go to dreamdictionary.com and, you know, like, what does this mean? And I, it was crazy because it was nonsense, like, just nonsense. But, uh, yeah, because I was always a dreamer, always, always a dreamer. And whether I knew it or not, God always spoke to me in dreams. And uh, when I found out that it's still a real way that God speaks to his people, I remember specifically praying uh, in that season, God, give me dreams that are from you. God, speak to me in dreams. Don't just speak to me in circumstances. I want to hear you in my dreams. I want to hear you in scripture. I want to hear you when I listen to a message. I want to hear you when I talk to people. I want to be able to hear you in all forms. And in one form that I really want is dreams. Anyway, so since that prayer, I think God has given me abundance of dreams. And, you know, a lot of them expose my fears. A lot of them expose my struggles. And some of them are dreams that are quite significant, really significant for my life. And uh, these past week, I had two dreams back to back. One last night and one the night before uh, that I think you guys will find interesting. Uh, The dream last night that I had was uh, me preaching here at KU. So what happened was I came into the KU uh, classroom and it looked different from here, but in my mind it was, I was at KU cause I knew I had to preach here and, uh, preparing, uh, on Monday, which is normally my Sabbath. I, I was preparing about what to preach. God really just put on my heart, preach about the power of the word of God, the power of scripture. You know, we talk about the power of the Holy spirit. We talk about the power of tongues. We talk about the power of, uh, you know, just 
getting glory glory hit what <laughs> getting hit by the glory you know all of these different things that some of you guys have been really experiencing but nothing absolutely nothing can compare to the power of scripture and so that's just something that God was putting on my heart to really preach so in my dream I knew that I was preaching on scripture and I walk in and I'm going to omit some of the parts just because part of that dream is very personal to me and I believe that it was God speaking to me about certain things. And I'll probably share that in a future message. But I think it's still in code mode. You know, like it's still like it hasn't been unlocked yet. And so I'm still praying through. Uh, but a couple of interesting parts about that dream was when I walked in, I was so excited to preach. Like, and, and you guys were trickling and students started trickling in and I knew like worship hadn't happened and you know, like the flow of the order of our typical large group service wasn't happening, but I started preaching anyway. And I just started going on and on about the power of scripture and how scripture has life and it's living and active. And in my mind, I'm like, shoot, worship didn't happen yet. Like I should calm down. Like I gotta, I gotta cool down. So in my mind, I'm like, all right, I gotta relax. But, but there was this fire for the word that was burning inside of me as I was preaching. And I kind of calmed down a little bit. And Mark Yu, he's a worship pastor at Itaewon campus. He comes in and he goes to the students are trickling in and he goes to the students and he's like, Hey, you guys bring your Bible. And everyone's like, no, no, no. We need the Bible that's in this room. And he looks at them and he's like, I told you, Last week, from now on, bring your own Bible. And I was like, oh, my gosh, Mark, you need to relax, you know. You need to calm down. Like, it's not that big of a deal. And he opens up a closet. And in my dream, I knew that that closet is where we kept Bibles for the students. But in that closet, none of the Bibles were there. And he's like, look, I told you, you had to bring your own Bible. Weird, right? And the rest of the dream is just, it gets more bizarre, Um but again, I'm going to omit a bunch of it just because it's very, it has to do with me. Uh, I don't think it has to do with you guys. It has to do with me. All right. Uh, but regardless, the word, the power of the word. And so I was like, wow, that's so interesting. So when I woke up this morning, I typed it all out on my iPhone, um, the dream. And uh, I thought, okay, at least I know that I should be, I, that I'm on the right track with what I'm supposed to be preaching about. I got to preach about the word. That's for sure. But I thought it was really, really strange. And I thought about the whole Mark you thing. Why is Mark you yelling at the students? You know, I was like, God, what's up with that? What's that all about? And I just felt like what God was saying is that for the students, the time to hear scripture, dig through scripture, uh, uh, you know, go deeper in scripture can't just be in the large group setting. That the word that he wanted to give you guys is come to large group already reading your Bible, not hearing about the Bible. You know, like, okay, today I'm finally going to get a word of the Lord. No, you guys should be coming already with that mindset, with that habit, with that discipline, with that understanding that the word of God is something that should be with you at all times. Because the problem is when you depend on large groups and large groups are not in your life anymore, then there's going to be a huge void in your spiritual walk with the Lord. Some of you are going to go back home. Some of you are not going to be at KU forever. And what's going to happen to your spiritual walk when someone isn't here whipping out the Bible, dissecting the Bible, regurgitating the Bible, 
going deeper in the Bible on your behalf. There's nothing wrong with preaching. Preaching is extremely important. There's faith that gets encouraged by the hearing of God's word. But listen to me carefully. It's time that you guys take ownership of the word of God because it's your word too. It's for you. Everything that I do to prepare for my messages, you know what it is? It's pretty much a quiet time. Everything that I do, all the substance that I get for every single message that I get is pretty much just studying my Bible. Guess what, guys? It doesn't take a preacher to study the Bible. You guys have access in, in ways that so many generations did not have. Not only is the Bible completely accessible to you, but now because of internet, you guys have access to study Bibles. You guys have access to translations, Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, whatever it may be. You guys have access to really understand the word of God like no other generation has had before. Not only do you have access to the Bible, but you have access to commentaries, incredible theologians, their insights, their thoughts to what scripture was saying. Yet we we tend to be a little bit of a lazy generation. But I think today God's going to shake us out of that because the authority that we have as a believer solely comes from how well we know the word of God. You know, I remember hearing people pray and hearing someone pray that has authority and hearing someone pray that doesn't have authority. I don't know if you guys can discern the difference, but I've had people pray for me. And as they're praying, it's like, it's almost as if I wanted to ask them, do you actually believe what you're saying right now? You know, like, is this true or is this just jargon? Is this what you heard someone else pray? Or is this your truth? And then I've had people pray for me that the moment they say father, I'm like, oh, snap. This person is connected to God, you know, like this person has an intimate relationship. Like there is a a huge difference. There's this, I was going to say chai, difference in Korean, difference, but there's a huge difference in authority. You know, you guys experience a lot of the Holy Spirit. That's anointing, but anointing always needs authority. It always needs the authority of God. It's good to prophesy, but if your prophetic word isn't in line with scripture, you're prophesying nothing. It's good to pray for people, but if your prayers are not rooted in scripture, then your prayers are meaningless. It's good to encourage your brother and your sister, but if your encouragement isn't rooted in scripture, your encouragement is superficial. But what actually has weight and what has substance is only the word of God, period. Scripture says heavens and the earth will pass away but the word of God will remain. It's only the word of God. So because scripture is such a big deal and that's my focus, I wanted to preach out of Psalm 119. Open up your Bibles to Psalm 119. I don't know if you guys know about Psalm 119, but let me just educate y'all. And we're going to be looking at verses 129 to 136. Now, don't feel condemnation if y'all didn't bring your Bible, all right? (laughs) But hopefully after this, you guys will carry it around. I rarely go anywhere without my Bible. Just a tad note. A lot of people just use it on their phones because it's so heavy. But out of all the books I want to carry around, I always want to carry around Scripture. Psalm 119, starting from verse 129. All 
All right, before we read this passage, I want to give you guys a little bit of background about Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest uh, chapter in the Bible. Okay, it's, what, it's 176 verses. That's long. 176 verses on one topic. Just one topic. It's talking about one thing and one thing alone, and that's the word of God. The longest chapter in the Bible has to do with how incredible scripture is, the word of God. What's interesting about Psalm 119 is it's actually a poem, and it's an acrostic poem. It's broken up into 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And each stanza is related to the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Okay, so the first Psalm you know, one to eight is Aleph. That's the first, that's like the A in Hebrew, okay? Uh, the second eight verses is Beth. And not only does it start with each Hebrew letter, but every line underneath that. So the first verses, one to eight, which is under Aleph, starts with Aleph. Verse one, verse two, verse three, verse four, all the way to verse eight starts with Aleph, that letter. That's pretty incredible. It's kind of like if I were to make an acrostic poem, Okay, let me try here. We're going to, Joe. Joe's a short name. Joe. Uh, Joe. J-O-E. Joe owns everything. That's good. That's prophetic. That's a prophetic word for you, Joe. All right? Joe owns everything. You're using the first letter to develop that word. So it's incredible what this author did. 22 letters of the Greek alphabet. Each letter represented with eight verses. Every eight verse had each eight verse has starting with the letter it coincides with. Okay. Now the author of this psalm is unknown, but a lot of people think it's either King David, Ezra, or Daniel. That's the educated guesses, and most theologians would attribute it to King David because it fits his tone, his style, and even some of the things that King David went through. Because a lot of uh, Psalm 119 has to do with enduring persecution or trial or slander, or people coming against you, princes coming against me. So this is an experience that those three people had, especially King David. Okay, and uh, a lot of. Um, commentaries say that Psalm 119 wasn't written in one sitting. It wasn't like what I did, Joe. Joe owns everything. But that it was written over a course of time and that the maturation of the author is shown in the progression of the alphabet. So the first couple of stanzas show uh, the perspective of a young man and the later, uh, the ones that are later show uh, age, greater age and greater wisdom and actually what it's saying. So, you know, I'm not sure if that's entirely true. This is just something that uh, a lot of theologians suspect. But if you read through it, it's actually pretty incredible. So this is a really meaty, think about it as someone's life journal. Okay, you just opened up, they put their life story in this alphabetical acrostic poem. And it's the insight and the depth of how meaningful and how powerful the word of God is for them. It's it's really amazing. Um, in the book of Psalm, well, in this particular chapter, the word of God is referred to eight different ways. Law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, commandments, judgments, word, and ordinances. Okay. Uh, when I looked it up, it was like, for some, I was like, I can't tell the difference. But, you know, these are different ways that the, the word is expressed. And not only does it, express the different attributes and the character of the word of God, but it proves that the word of God shows the character of God himself. 
And the character of God that's mentioned in just Psalm 119 is that he's righteous, that he's trustworthy, that he's true, faithful, unchangeable, eternal, light, and pure. And a lot of people call this the Christian golden ABCs. This is actually what Germans refer to Psalm 119, the Christian golden ABCs. Some people called it the alphabet of divine love, the paradise of all doctrines, the storehouse of the Holy Spirit, the school of truth. Just a couple of names for this chapter in particular. So this is a pretty important chapter. That's the point that I'm trying to make here. Okay. Now, when you read it first, just a glance, like when I read it, it sounds like it's the same thing repeating over and over and over and over. Like, okay, the word of God is good. The word of God is important. The word of God comforts. It just sounds like redundant. Okay. So that was like my experience when I was first doing a quick reading, um, when I first looked at uh, chapter 119. And then Charles Spurgeon says this. I love Spurgeon, so I quote from him a lot because he's like one of my favorite theologians and preachers. He's just awesome. Uh, But listen to what he says. He says, many superficial readers have imagined that Psalm 119, it harps upon one string. And it bounds in pious repetitions and redundancies. But this arises from the shallowness of the reader's own mind. Oops. Those who have studied the divine hymn and carefully noted each line of it are amazed at the variety and the profundity of the thought. Using only a few words, the writer has produced permutations and combinations of meaning which display his holy familiarity with his subject and the sanctified ingenuity of his mind. He never repeats himself. For if the sentiment reoccurs, it's placed in a fresh connection and so exhibits another interesting shade of meaning. That's deep. I don't know if you guys caught that, but that's like seriously deep. Basically, what Charles Spurgeon is trying to say is when you read this scripture superficially, it's going to sound like the same thing over and over. But when you study the scripture line by line, what you're going to receive is a different revelation with each line a different revelation of what God's word is, who he is through his word. That's incredible. That's incredible. Psalm 119 is just, is just really a special passage. Uh, William Wilberforce, I don't know if you guys know him. You guys know who he is? William Wilberforce? Yeah. What did, do you guys know what he did? Anybody know? Yeah, right. He fought for the freedom of slavery. And so he was a forerunner in abolishing the slavery movement in England. Okay, not in America, but in England. And William Wilberforce was a devout Christian, and it was through the revelation of God that he knew slavery was not right. Okay? And so this is something, this is an entry from his diary. It was written in 1819. It was in the midst of chaos, a political crisis, when he was, you know, uh, forerunning this, um, I guess, this new mindset that slaves should be free. And he says this, I walked from Hyde Park Corner, repeating the 119th Psalm in great comfort. And there's other quotes from different theologians just saying how special this particular psalm is to them. So we're going to read just eight verses. So just one letter of the alphabet here today. 
And I mean, one, because there's no way I'm going to get through 176 verses. But two, I hope I can just like give you a little taste so that you actually go home and on your own time, in your own accord, in your own hunger and appetite, you guys study the remaining 21 stanzas. But I was debating between two. And the reason why I chose the one that I did is because the letter is P and it's spelled P-E. So I just thought that was hilarious. So I was like, all right, Lord, I'm going to do that one. I'm going to do that one. All right. Okay, I want you guys to turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Now, I know when I go through, like, the history of the word and the context of the word, people get sleepy. But you guys have to understand the reason why that happens is not because I'm a boring person. I'm actually quite fun, okay? The reason is, is whenever the word of God is spoken, this is where the enemy is going to try his best to distract you for all costs. Why? Because all authority is in the word. All power is in the word. So whenever the word of God goes out, the devil's going to come in. He's going to make you tired. He's going to distract you. He's going to get you to think about things that you need to get done. He's going to tell you you're too cold. I can't concentrate. I'm so cold. He's going to tell you I'm too hot. I can't concentrate. I'm too hot. Whatever it may be, but you need to be on guard because this message is not a message that's going to bless you tonight. This message is designed to bless you onward for your spiritual walk. So I need you guys to fight because there are messages I sit through where I'm like, you know, and I know it's those messages where I'm like, shoot, I I need to hear what the preacher is saying, you know. So everybody on guard, y'all with me? Look at each other and I just wide eye. Come on, stare at each other. Okay, you guys aren't staring at each other, but that's okay. Psalm 119, 129 to 136. Let's break it down, okay? We're going to just read it straight through first, and then I'll go verse by verse, and I'll just tell you how cool Scripture actually is when you study it. Okay. All right, Psalm 119, 129. Let's do it like this. I will read the first verse. You guys read the following verse, so we'll get four each. Sounds good? All right, your testimonies are wonderful, therefore my soul keeps them. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Keep steady my steps according to your promise and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. Okay, this is Psalm 119, verses 129 to 136. Let's start line by line. Let's look at verse 129. Your testimonies, which is another word for, another reference to the scripture of God. Remember I told you there's going to be about eight references to scripture, all interchangeable words. Testimonies is one of them are wonderful. Everybody say wonderful. Here's a problem with the word like wonderful. We overuse wonderful. We say your hair looks wonderful. Your shoes look wonderful. That pizza was wonderful. And all of a sudden that word, which means wonder and awe begins very, gets cheapened. You know, and to say something's wonderful all of a sudden doesn't have its impact anymore. But I want you to understand when scripture uses the word wonderful, it means the full impact of that word. The Hebrew word is Pele. 
And that word is to wonder, to marvel. To wonder, to marvel. And in order to wonder or to marvel at something, you first need to recognize that you're looking at something incredible. A lot of times when it comes to scripture, we stop there. We don't recognize what scripture is. Your testimonies are wonderful. I'm wondering if that's your confession. God, your word, your scriptures, they're wonderful. You know, I know a lot of people that actually use reading their Bible to go to sleep. It's like their NyQuil. Like, listen, I know if I open up the Old Testament, I read it, I'm going to pass out. Like, that's me. That was me in, like, eighth grade. It's like, I'm so tired, but I can't sleep, Genesis. <laughs> there was no recognition of what Scripture was. And, and the truth is, Scripture should cause us to go, oh, what? Wow. Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's wonderful. It should cause us to be in awe. The reason why it doesn't is because it has become familiar. Everybody say familiar. And there's a quote that says, I can't say that word. Familiarity. There we go. Familiarity breeds contempt. When you become familiar with something, all of a sudden, it's easy to treat that very thing with contempt. Uh, I was listening to a message of a pastor. Uh, I forget which pastor it was, but he was talking about how recently he met these new people, and they were like, oh, my gosh, your wife is beautiful. Like, she's gorgeous. And he was like, yeah, 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 she is, she is, she is. No, she's beautiful. And he thought about it, and he was like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, she is, she's beautiful. And he was saying... Because she saw her every single day. It's just that that truth that she's beautiful, that she's gorgeous, just became so familiar to him. That it just became an everyday thing. That he, he almost forgot how spectacular she was. And it took someone else who didn't know, who wasn't familiar with her, to point that out for him to be reminded, oh my gosh, this is true, my wife is gorgeous. My husband needs to listen to this message. But when we become familiar with something, we treat it with contempt. Sometimes a preacher will come up and they'll read a passage in scripture. And already, the moment they open up a familiar scripture, your mind is like, what's he going to tell me about this scripture that I don't already know? Like, this is familiar to me. And it's almost like your brain shuts down. Let me, let's open up to the parable of the sower. Okay, I listened to like 60 messages about the parable of the sower. Let's open up to the, gen- you know, in Genesis, the creation excerpt. Oh, man, okay, we all know that God created this and that. It, all of a sudden, the word of God that should cause us to wonder and be in marvel becomes familiar. And if the word of God has become familiar to you, you need to repent. Because there's nothing familiar about the word of God. There is, but there should always be reason for us to be in awe. Why? Because the word of God is continuously living and active. You know, there's scriptures in my Bible that's marked up where like the same passage spoke to me a certain way. And it's like two weeks later, I'll read the same passage and that passage will speak to me a different way. And then a month later, I'll read that same passage and then I'll speak to me a different way. The word of God is not a novel. Okay, we're not reading the Great Gatsby. We're not reading Pride and Prejudice, okay? This is not a novel, folks. This is living and active. That means the way that we approach it, even our attitudes, we got to keep our attitude in check. Because when we begin to treat even Scripture with contempt, we're already in the wrong place. Your testimonies are wonderful. May that be our confession. 
Your testimonies are Pele. I wonder, I marvel at it. Let's continue. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Everybody say keeps. Now that word keeps in Hebrew is nastar. I'm going to be butchering these Hebrew words, by the way. So just, you know, it's, it's all good. You guys are okay with that, right? Um, nastar, and that Hebrew word means to guard, to watch over, to preserve, and to guard from danger. My soul keeps them. When you read it just straight like that, my soul keeps them. It doesn't seem like it has that much depth, but that word keep is so loaded. My soul protects them. My soul guards them. My soul preserves them. My soul keeps them from danger. How can the word of God be in danger? The word of God can never be in danger, but it can be in danger of leaving you. It could be in danger of being forgotten by you. No, but the attitude, the heart mindset is, I'm going to protect the word of God. This is how precious it is to me. Look, the first part of that stanza, that, uh, that line right there is, therefore. It starts with, your testimonies are wonderful. First, you got to recognize what the word of God is. And when you recognize what the word of God is, the power of the word of God, then it goes into, therefore, my soul keeps them. How many of you guys actually protect the word of God in your mind? When something comes in your mind and it contradicts the word of God, which one do you come into agreement with? When something confronts something that scripture says, man, I'm nothing, but scripture says I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. What are you going to come into agreement with? Which one are you guarding? Which one are you keeping? Which one are you preserving? It's going to be deception that's told to you by people, circumstances, situations, your own thoughts. Or is it going to be the word of God that remains when heaven and earth pass away? We got to guard the word. That means we got to get gangster with the word. That means we got to protect the word, AK-47 style. If anything comes against the word, bang, you shoot it down. Too many Christians don't know how to protect the word of God in their lives. And whenever anything comes in and contradicts it, they choose to steer and agree with something that's not actually truth. This is why our lives are roller coaster up and down. Circumstances dictate our spiritual life. That's not what a Christian life is supposed to be. You're going to go through hard times, guys. And sometimes some of the hardest things you go through is because you're a Christian. But your joy, your peace will never, should never be determined by your circumstances. If you know how to be a handler of the word of God, you can always stay in a place of joy. You can always stay in the place of peace. You can always stay in a place of hope and expectation and faith. That's the power of the word. Circumstances change. You got a good job today? Listen, there are people in the States that thought that they were going to be billionaires, millionaires forever. And the stock market crashes, the economy crashes, and what all of a sudden they're homeless. Things that we depend on to be our security is constantly changing. But one thing remains, the word of God. So we got to protect the words. We got to guard the words. We got to watch over the words. Verse 130, the unfolding of your words gives light. That word unfolding it's also opening, the opening of your words, the doorway of your words, the entrance of your words gives light. You know, to me, that means that when you read scripture, initially, it's like you just, you're at the doorway 
And it's up to you whether you're actually going to go in and walk in through scripture. Basically, it's revelation. We need revelation. Only the spirit, Holy Spirit can unfold the words that give light. You know, I know people that know the Bible in and out, but they don't believe in God. You know, we know people that are like professors that teach on Christianity as like one of the many religions that are, that people believe that man made and they can recite scripture better than everybody in this room, including myself. And yet they don't understand who Jesus is. How is that possible? It's possible because they haven't walked into scripture. It hasn't been open for them. It hasn't been revealed to them because it only can be done with the power of the Holy Spirit. There are times where I read the Bible before I um, got saved, and I was like, what the heck is this crap? Like, let me be real here. I was like, what is this? Why am I reading 50 different names in a row? And why am I reading about goats, you know, blood sacrifices and war? Like, does God believe in genocide? You know, what's up with this? And what's all I had were questions. And I was reading the Bible, but I wasn't reading the Bible. I was reading at face value, but I never walked through. The word of God never was opened for me. The unfolding of your words. To me, I really like that imagery, unfolding. It's like opening a present. You know, a lot of us have the gift of scripture, but we never opened it. It's like, I don't, when it's time for my birthday, I'm one of those people that tell everybody that it's my birthday. Like, guys, just, just so you know, in about two weeks, it's going to be my birthday. Just so you know. Hey, guys, just so you know, tomorrow's going to be my birthday. I'm not one of those people that wait and see, like, who's going to remember? You know, like, who are my real friends? No, I don't do that. I'm just like, everybody, it's my birthday soon. I like to announce it. Uh, and I love presents. It's just one of my gift, favorite love languages is receiving gifts. Whether it's like a pencil to like, I don't know, a piece of food. I'm like, oh, I feel so loved to, you know, be, whatever it is. I just like presents. So any holiday where I get presents is like the best, right? So, you know, on my birthday, whenever I get gifts, you know, I'm not just going to receive the gift. Oh, thank you. Read the card and then just leave it on the side and not open the present. You know what I mean? That's like, that's as foolish as getting a gift from JP and just be like, oh, JP, thank you. And hugging the gift, sleeping with the gift, you know, get shaking the gift, getting excited about the gift, bragging about the gift, but never opening the gift. We treat scripture like that. We're supposed to open scripture and the Holy Spirit is the one that opens it for us. And yet we just carry it around. Look at me. I'm Christian. I hold my Bible. I'm a, I'm a believer, but you don't read the scripture. When that doesn't happen, you guys, we are missing out. Because what does it say? The unfolding of your words, what does it do? Gives light. It gives light. Light illuminates. It illuminates. When something is in the dark, you can't see. But the moment the lights get turned on, what happens? You can see. That's what scripture does. Scripture gives clarity to a situation where you feel blinded in. Why am I in this circumstance, Lord? I don't understand what's going on. Look through scripture and all of a sudden you can see, oh, God, you're doing this. God, you're with me. I'm not alone. It illuminates the dark places in our own hearts. The places where you've been struggling in. Psalm 18 is one of my favorite chapters of all time in scripture. It's a chapter I meditated on when I was really going through healing and deliverance. And one line in Psalm 18 is, God turns my darkness into light. I love that line. God turns my darkness into light. Like if I believed in getting tattoos, I just tat that on my forehead. You know what I mean? Like on my chest, like on my thigh or, you know, like whatever it is just to, it's that important to me. It's God turns my darkness into light. His word illuminates. 
And the one complaint that I hear from a lot of people today is, oh, I don't know what God's saying. Or I don't know what I'm supposed to do with my life. I don't know what the next step is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I'm going through this. Why did God do that? Or why didn't God do that? Darkness, 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 darkness. It takes the unfolding of scripture to illuminate. Don't just stop at the doorway, guys. Don't just read the scripture, just face value. You got to dig deep. John Piper says it like this. When you rake, you get leaves. But when you dig, you get treasure. Often we just rake the scripture. Oh, that was a nice word. Oh, that was good. That's a nice promise. But it's when you dig, that's when the treasure of God's word really comes alive. We could have read this passage just face value, and I could have talked a little bit about how the word is great. And it would have been good. But how much more substance does it get when you understand that it was an acrostic poem written by someone that faced persecution time and time again, yet trusted in the Lord? How much more substance does it get when you realize that it was done in, in a Hebrew alphabet? How much substance does you, do you get when you realize that it was done over the course of time after someone really lived their life? That even the psalm itself, was mature, you see the maturation of someone's uh, spiritual walk. To me, all of that context, all of that background really makes these eight passages, eight verses come alive deeper. You got to dig. You got to dig. We can rake all day, folks. But we got to dig to get the scripture's treasure. The unfolding of your words give life. Let's continue verse 130. It gives understanding to the simple. It gives understanding to the simple. That word simple can be translated as the naive or foolish in Hebrew. I'm going to choose the word foolish. It gives understanding to the foolish. How many of you guys know that sometimes we act a fool? You guys know that? Like we do things and we're like, why the heck did I do that? You guys ever go through moments like that? Like, why did I just say that? Why did I just do that? And we just look at our circumstance or our situation and, and what we've done and said or what we didn't do. And we just feel like an idiot. Like, oh, I know I shouldn't have said that or I shouldn't have done that. Here's good news. Scripture gives us understanding. We as fools, we have hope, guys. We have hope that we can go from someone who is a fool to someone who's in the know. That word understanding is to discern. To discern. We got to learn how to be discerning believers. But again, that can only happen through the unfolding of the words that gives light. Verse 131, I open my mouth and pant. Everybody say pant. The image that I got was like, I don't know, like a dog. I'm not going to do it. I was about to do it, but I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Panting. You guys can get that imagery, right? I open my mouth and I pant. Pant. When you think about pant, you, you can think about like an animal thirsty. Have you ever, guys, have you ever been really, really, really thirsty? Just so thirsty. If you've ever lived through a summer in Korea, you would know what that means because it gets so ridiculously hot and humid. Here in Korea, it's wonderful, but it's also terrible. And there are days where I'm just like so, so thirsty. And the, the thing is you desire. It's the longing. I'm longing. I open my mouth and I long. For I longed for your commandments. Again, commandments were one of the words that are interchangeable with scripture. 
The NLT New Living Translation says this, I pant with expectation. I like this translation. I pant with expectation. ESV says, I open my mouth and I pant. But the New Living says, I pant with expectation. Here's a problem that we have with scripture is, do we read scripture with expectation? Do you open up your Bible, read through the chapter, read through the verse, whatever you're going to do for that day and have expectation. This is going to change my life. This is going to be a, this is going to give me a new revelation of who God is. This is going to draw me deeper to his goodness. This is going to take me into a, a more intimate place with him. Do you read scripture with that expectation? I know there's so many times where I don't, I read scripture because I like to check the box that says QT, you know, like. Nice, got it done. You know, like I have, I'm more satisfied with checking a box than I am in the substance of the scripture that I'm reading. But here, this author says, I pant with expectation. I long with expectation. I pant because I know it's coming. You know, like Thanksgiving dinner is like, you just know that there's turkey, there's mashed potatoes, there's sweet potatoes. You know, you know that there's going to be stuffing and, and, and all that standing between you is you and that, that food is either the prayer, which always ends up being super long or, you know, getting your table called or whatever it is. But in that moment you are, it's like, I don't know about you guys, but my hunger is like that three times more normal because I know it's coming. You know what I mean? Like I can just imagine it. Like, you know, sometimes like I just want to quickly eat a meal so I can get to the dessert. I'm a sweet tooth, so I'm like, let me just eat this up because I want that cake, you know, or that cupcake or whatever it is. But because you, exp- because you know it's there, because you see it, you have that expectation. It's like that hunger and that desire gets revved up that much more. When we read scripture, when we go through scripture, we have to have that kind of mindset. Lord, give me that expectation. For I longed for your commandments. Man. It's this, when I see this, when I read this, I hear desperation. Someone that's desperate for the word of God. Someone who knows that their appetite that, 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 that's brewing inside of them will only be satisfied through the word. Verse 132, turn to me and be gracious to me. Great, another word for gracious would be show favor. Turn to me and show favor to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Verse 133, keep steady my steps according to your promises. Another word for steady in Hebrew, it's translated into establish. Establish my steps. Secure my steps according to what? My circumstance? No. According to, you know, my small group, how often we meet? No. According to how many retreats I go to? No. According to your promise. And let no iniquity get dominion over me. Let's stop here. The NIV version of that latter half of 133 says, let no sin rule over me. When I first, not first, but when I turned my life back to God after that season of backsliding, one of the most difficult things was changing my lifestyle because all of us, you know, I used to party, drink, do drugs, whatever, all that. And to learn how to change my lifestyle was difficult. And one major area that I struggled in was purity. It was purity. 
I struggled with purity. It's something that I'd struggle with early on. And, and, you know, as a girl, I know it's like taboo to talk about, but the reality of even people who, uh, consume porn it's not men it's not just men anymore the percentage of women who are addicted to porn is constantly rising as well and i fell in that statistic i was addicted to porn okay i was addicted to uh not just porn but obviously masturbation i was addicted to hooking up with guys i was addicted everything regarding lust i was addicted to so when it was time for me to trans be transformed in the renewing of my mind and to live a pure life I struggled. I struggled because it was this, I was so used to walking in this path and all of a sudden it's like, I mean, I always knew I shouldn't be doing it. And there's this shame and condemnation, but then here is now finally the agreement that I don't want to do it anymore. And so I'm turning my way and I'm turning to the Lord, but there was just times where I would just, you know, I go strong and then I would fall. You know, and then I would go strong again and then I would fall. And I had to constantly deal with that discouragement. But you know what the most important thing you need to understand about overcoming the battle of lust is you got to know your word. You got to know your word. It is scripture that helps you get dominion over sin. It's scripture. It's the word of God. Whenever temptation comes, you know, maybe for you guys, it's not lust. Maybe for you, it may be drinking. You know, maybe for you, it may be, uh, unforgiveness. I don't know. There's many things and th- that we can be tempted into going into. Uh, but the devil's desire is he wants to rule over you. And the way that he wants to rule over you is by allowing the sin in your life to rule over you. Dominion. Look at that word dominion. Dominion is equated to rule. Dominion ESV rule NIV. Sin wants to be your master. And so many of us, even though we're Christians and we believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, are slaves to the sin that we commit. But how, what does scripture say here? Keep steady, establish my steps according to your promise. Another word for scripture. And let no sin rule over me. Galatians 5, 1, it says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You are running well. Verse 7, if you skip a couple lines, it says, verse 7, you are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? It's for freedom Christ has set you free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You know what that verse is saying is it's possible. After being set free from Christ, it's possible to be submitted against the yoke of slavery. How is it possible? What's the open door? It's being hindered from obeying the truth. That's why knowing the truth is so key. It's so key. It's scripture. Man, there are times where the devil tries to attack me with old patterns and old mindsets and old, you know, habits and whatever it may be. And you know what I got to whip out? I got to whip out scripture. I have to whip out straight. That's, that's the only offensive weapon that we carry. Ephesians chapter six talks about the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt buckle of truth, the feet fitted, ready to share the gospel, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's the sword that cuts down deception. When Jesus got led into the wilderness. He was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. Here's one thing that we got to understand is Jesus actually understands what it means to be tempted. 
He wasn't like this super God that didn't go through any trial or, you know, because he's God, he was like invincible to everything. No, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. And all of the hurts, all of the struggles, all of the temptations, Jesus understands because he went through it as a man. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he was tempted as a man by Satan. And how did he respond to every single temptation that Satan gave him? Scripture. It was scripture. Hey, Jesus, aren't you hungry? Because he fasted during those 40 days. Look at that rock. Why don't you turn that rock into a nice big loaf of bread? Here's the thing. We, we, you know, I was imagining all sorts of things whenever I fast. You know, I think I mentioned this before. Like whenever I fast, like soaps become hamburgers and, you know, like just, I just start hallucinating. But I can't do that. I can't change my soap into a hamburger. But Jesus could. You understand that? He was still God. He was man, but he was also God. And if he wanted to, he could have said, rock, you're going to turn into bread. He turned water into wine. So what could have stopped him from turning rock into bread? He could have. And here's Satan tempting him. Hey, you know, you're hungry. And Jesus's response wasn't to run away. He didn't beat Satan up physically. He didn't put his head in the sand. He replied simply with scripture. Man does not live by bread alone, but but by the very word of God. What? You know what Satan does? He leaves. Isn't that interesting? He's like, all right. You know, there's nothing he can do. The word of God is like a sword. It is a sword. When we get attacked, whether it's temptation with our purity, whether it's temptation with, uh, you know, whatever it may be that we're struggling in our life, temptation to not read scripture, temptation to, you know, not come out to familiar, temptation to, you know, not go to class. Hey. Temptation not to do your homework, temptation not to talk to your parents, temptation to be angry at someone forever and ever and ever because they were being a jerk to you. When we face these different temptations, the way that we don't allow sin to have dominion over us is by allowing the word of God to dominate our lives. The only way for sin to not rule over you is to let the word rule over you. And the only way for the word to rule over you is so that you know the word. How can you let the word of God rule over you if you don't know the word? Let no iniquity get dominion over me. Verse 134, redeem me, redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Redeem me, that word, you guys can interchange it with deliver or rescue. Rescue me from man's oppression. That word man is Adam. It's talking about the sin nature of man. Redeem me. Rescue me from my own sin nature that I may keep. That word keep is the same word. Protect, guard, preserve your precepts. You know, scripture says that the devil, uh, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I told you guys I had two dreams, right? Last night's dream was preaching at KU. Uh, and the night before I had a really bizarre dream. It's going to sound like ridiculousness to you guys now, but stay with me in the dream. I was, I had a baby. Okay. And it was time to celebrate a baby shower. So it was weird. Like in my dream, I'm like, I have a baby, but when I walked into the baby shower, it was like, I'm pregnant. Okay. Anyway, so I walked in and, uh, there's a baby shower and the baby shower was held in Tina and Rona's new house. They got a new house. All right. 
So nothing was moved in yet. It was a brand new house and they had this baby shower. And I look and as I walk to my seat of honor, whatever, being the pregnant lady there, like there's so many delicious desserts. And I knew my husband bought it. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. Like cupcakes, truffles, like croissants, and, you know, all these different yummy, yummy desserts. And I'm walking by, and I'm like, mmm, I'm so excited. And we have this baby shower. And then the baby shower finishes, and everybody leaves. Okay? And the only two people that remain are me and a sister named Kathleen Ahn, who goes to New Philly Hillside. Random. Okay. So me and Kathleen on remain and nobody helped clean up. So I'm like peeved. Right. And I'm like, dude, what the heck? I'm like, all right. So we start cleaning up. And as we clean up, I realized that the, this, this house has no furnishing. Nothing's in the house. And I look outside and the front yard has luggage. I see bags. I see a kitchen table. I see chairs. I see desks. Like I see all the furnishings that belong in the house in the front yard. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's weird. And in my mind, in my dream, I thought we should put that inside the house. Like that belongs inside the house. But you know what kept me was I thought to myself, oh, but me and Kathleen are too small. Like we don't have enough strength to put that in. Like it's too, it was too, uh, like too much trouble. Like it's not that important. Like we'll just do it later when other people come. Like that was my attitude. Like, eh, it's not that big of a deal. Like it'll happen later on. And so time passes, and, and I see my baby. And my baby is the size of my pinky. I told you dreams are bizarre. So you can imagine I had a little infant, and I was like, oh, you know, and like I'm holding this baby, I'm putting this baby down, and, and, and cleaning, and then, you know, like all this. And I remember, you know, like, oh, man, I have to take care of this baby. And all of a sudden, the door, someone knocks on the door. And we open it, and there's this homeless dude, and he's like, oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm so thirsty. And we're like, oh, yeah, you know, let's do the Christian thing and, you know, get him a glass of water. So we get him a glass of water. But when we walk back, we realize that strapped to his back is a guitar that belongs to Tina Arona. And he's holding a luggage that belongs to Tina Arona. Like, and we're like, hold up a second. We're like, dude, that's ours. And he's like, oh, you know, and we're like, give that back. That's not yours, sir. And he was like, oh, and he like, he gives it back and he gives the luggage back. And we look out and like mad people are trying to steal all the furnishings. Like we just see people like just going out, like with their, with our bags. And we're like, dude, what's going on? So me and Kathleen are like chasing people down, like give it back. I had to put my pinky baby down, you know, put my pinky baby down and I run out and we're like run after people trying to get each thing back but what's interesting is instead of putting it back in the house we kept putting it in the front yard we would run get the luggage and roll the luggage back and then we would leave it in the front yard and more people kept stealing it was just this rotation of all our things getting stolen over and over and over again and then John Michael and Sky, you guys met Pastor John Michael and Pastor Sky last week right um, they they came into the house and I look at them and I'm like great You need to take care of the baby. So I give them the pinky baby and I say, go upstairs and take care of the baby while we, while we handle the situation. And they're like, all right. And they go upstairs. And that was my dream. Bizarre, huh? You guys are like, what in the heck kind of dream? (laughs) What in the, so it's funny, um, because let me break the dream down for you guys. Babies often mean new beginnings. So does a new house, a new beginning. A new baby was born. It was a new beginning. And you know, Tina and Rona being there, when I see them, that represents Emmaus to me. And I thought, okay, this is a word for my students. And here in the context of Emmaus, so many of you guys have experienced a new beginning. 
God radically set you free from something and you became new. As some of you guys got saved, it's a new beginning. You were birthed into the kingdom of God. New beginning. And as you guys had this new beginning, we had this baby shower celebrating all the newness. Yay! But somewhere along the line, the baby shower ends. And everybody goes home. And now it's time for you to learn how to take care of your own house. Okay? And as you take care of your own house, you learn that part of taking out care of your own house is you got to learn how to clean. Cleaning. Cleaning to me represents repentance. Okay? We have to have a lifestyle of repentance. Okay? But that's not the focus of this dream. I really think the focus of the dream was all the belongings that belong, all the belongings that were in the front yard and not in the house. Isn't that interesting? And I was like, God, what does that mean? And kitchen table often represents communion because that's where you commune with people, right? It's the kitchen table. And so it often represents communion or covenant. And the kitchen table was not inside the house. It was outside of the house. And I thought to myself, God, this is so weird. What could the luggage, what could the furnishings, all of this mean? And God all of a sudden spoke to me as I was praying, and he said, it's the word of God. The identities of who I say you are, the promises of what I say I'll do, the reality and the revelation of who I say I am needs to be in your house. And it can't just be in the front door where you can have access to it time and time again. It's got to be something where we make a home in. God, I make a home in this truth. I sit, I sleep on this truth. Uh, This is this truth. This scripture is the furnishing of my house. But often it's like the Bible in the front yard. When you need a word, you'll look through it. But do you possess it? Is it yours? Has it moved into your mindset? You know, when it's left in the front yard, what happens is it's easy for the enemy to steal. Remember I talked about that word keep, preserve, to guard over? It was interesting because even though we were, tr- we were thinking we were guarding over these things, we were just running back and forth, back and forth, exerting so much energy trying to run after the enemy, the thief that was trying to steal, kill, that was trying to steal away the things, the promises of God, the word of God, Exerting so much energy going back and forth, fighting. Oh, no, that's mine. Take it away. Seeing it taken away. Oh, no, that's mine. Seeing it taken away. Oh, no, that's mine. It's constantly, it represents so many of our Christian lives. It's the truth of God constantly just being taken away. We get it back. Taken away. We get it back. Taken away. We get it back. God is saying today, make it your home. Make it your home. Don't just have it in your front yard. He's saying it, make, put it inside of the house. You know, that, that new house to me represents mindset. Front yard, you have access to, but your mind is where your thoughts are. And I believe that that whole concept of the word of God needing to be furnished in our mind, it just, it's talking about the meditation of our mind. This is how we mature because when we become a new creation, we're just like a baby, fragile, We need to learn how to steward God's word. It's interesting because John, John Michael and Skye came in the house and I told them to take the baby upstairs, right? Well, upstairs often means a place of prayer. You look at Acts and the, the, the people of God were waiting in an upper room, they say, praying for the Holy Spirit to come down. So often that upstairs, it symbolizes that spiritual life, the spiritual life of prayer. And I believe that's the one-two punch. In order to mature, not only do you need to house the word in your mind, own it, possess it, take authority over it, and protect it, 
But you also have to know how to pray and live a lifestyle of prayer. It was only until today that I realized, oh, how, how cool, because Pastor J.M. is preaching at SNU today, and Pastor Sky is preaching at uh, Yonsei. Pastor John Michael is preaching at SNU. It's like, oh, interesting. God wants us to know how to protect the word of God in our lives. We want to keep, redeem me, rescue me, God. Rescue me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Verse 135, make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. It's, that word teach is, uh, it's not just teach me your statutes. You can kind of say train me in your statutes. It's not enough to know it. We need to live it. We need to be trained in it. There's, like I said, there's a lot of people that quote-unquote know Scripture, but they haven't been trained in Scripture. And verse 136 ends with, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. The last verse is this verse of remorse. Man, my heart breaks because people don't understand how powerful your word is. What is scripture to you? What is scripture to you? What's the Bible to you? What do you, you we got to understand what scripture is. There's more than 40 authors that wrote the Bible. That Bible, the Bible is written in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. There's 66 books in the Bible, but not all 66 are alike. We have the Pentateuch, the Law of Moses. We have historical books that talk about the history of the Israelites. We have books that are considered uh, 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 the, the poetry, the books of wisdom, like Psalms, like Song of Solomon, like Proverbs. They're all different styles. We have books of prophets. We have major prophets like Isaiah, and then we have minor prophets like Micah. The Bible is, is insane. Then we have the Gospels, all accounts of Jesus' life, four different perspectives of Jesus' life. And then we have letters of Paul, the epistles, written specifically to different churches, talking about different topics. And then we have other letters written by other authors, like John, or uh, first one, two, three, John, written by John, you know? And then we have Revelation, one of the most incredible and mysterious books of all of the Bible, talking about the future coming of Jesus Christ. This book was written over the span of 1,500 years. And yet if you study scripture, it all connects. How does a prophetic word given in Isaiah play out word by word in the Gospels? It's incredible. It's incredible. Everything that had to line up, all the details that were spoken in the past had to line up to the coming of Jesus Christ. It's all proven through scripture. And it's insane. So for us to treat scripture like it's a regular book, you've already started on the wrong foot. We've got to learn how to handle the word. What book are you reading? Is it a historical book? Is it a book of law? Is it an epistle? Wayne Grudem, he's the author. He's a really, really famous systematic theologian. And, and Rona uh, at SNU preached uh, what I'm just going to share right now. I thought it was so good. I had to share with you guys. John 17, 17 says this. Father, this is Jesus' prayer. Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 
Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Everybody say truth. Wayne Grudem goes on to explain that that word truth wasn't an adjective. It wasn't true. Father, sanctify them in what's true. Your word is true. It wasn't an adjective describing something that's true because it's measured against another higher truth. It was a noun, okay? Jesus uses a noun. Sanctify them in truth, aletheia. Aletheia is a Greek word for truth. Uh, I think Wayne Grudem says it like this. It's not just true, but it's truth itself. Because this statement encourages us to think about the Bible as true because it conforms to some higher standard. But rather to think of the Bible itself, the final standard of truth. God's word is the ultimate standard for what's true. That is, all other things should measure against God's word in order to be called true. This scripture is a litmus test. Do you guys understand the difference between true and truth? You say something is true, but based on another higher standard. Okay? I say that JP is a man. And that statement is true because the higher standard would be science says that he is a man. Okay? But we say that we, when we say that scripture is true, then we're saying that we're measuring it against a higher standard. But what Jesus is saying, scripture is truth, which means everything should be measured against scripture. So it's scripture that dictates whether it's true or false. This is the standard, the only standard. It's not what your professors say. It's not what your mama says. It's not even what I say. If what I say is not in agreement with what this says, it's not true. This is the standard. So how much do we need to know scripture? How much do we need to eat, breathe, live by it? This is why we live in such deception is because we don't know the truth, the, the noun. And this is why the devil wants to attack this area in your life the most. It's reading the Bible. Man, there are times where I'm like, Lord, I'm going to read scripture. I open up my Bible and bring, bring. You know, Facebook says that Eunice Lee has liked this photo. And I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there are times where I open up scripture, like I'm ready to go, like have a, a open heaven visitation of the Lord. And then at that moment, like my mom calls from home, you know, there's so many interruptions when I read my Bible. There, it, it happens time and time again to the point where I can't have my phone around me because it's such a distraction. I literally leave it in another room. And I go without the phone, without a laptop, without anything, and I read scripture. I have to do that because I get so distracted. Maybe that's just my personality. Some of you guys don't mind a little. But for me, I'm always like, what's going on? What photo does she like? You know, what's the comment that they made? Man, this is such an important. If we don't have scripture, we build our house on sand. If we don't know scripture, our emotions are going to get tossed and turned. You're going to be at those roller coaster Christians. If you don't know scripture, experiences will always supersede your walk with the Lord. Everything will be experience-based. So if worship didn't feel right, then you're going to go leave large group discouraged. If the message you heard didn't really tickle you the way that last week's message did, then you're going to be like, oh, man, that's too bad. If you all of these other factors that are constantly changing dictate your life, man, your life is always going to be like this. But it's scripture. We need scripture. The word of God that is alive. 
You know, not only is it the word of God, but it literally is living. Meaning when you read scripture to yourself, it's like you're allowing life to come into your body. There are seasons where I was so depressed that when I read scripture, all of a sudden, scripture began to speak to me, read over me, minister to me. It was the word of God that began to break off depression. Why? Because that word is alive. Have you ever listened to a podcast? It wasn't even a live preaching. You listen to someone's sermon, all of a sudden, you're just getting so touched. Your heart's getting so stirred up. Why? Because it's the word of God that is alive. It doesn't matter if you're hearing it preached like two years later. The word is still alive. It's that powerful. What am I trying to say? Scripture's important. I know you guys got that. But let's get to the nitty-gritty application. Okay, what do I want you guys to leave with today? I have six points. You guys are like, Lord, help us. We'll, 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 we'll go through. This is important. Number one, application. If you're going to write anything down, write this down. When it comes to scripture, read it. That's number one. Read it. For some of you guys, we need to stop right there because you haven't been reading scripture. Read it. And don't just read it like open up, oh, today. You know, I used to read my Bible like this. Lord, speak to me. <laughs> but in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. Huh? You know, like I just, used to, I just hope that it's something. And then if I didn't like it, I'd be like, okay, just kidding. <laughs> Let me try again. You know, like there was grace for me, even in that time, God still spoke to me in that ridiculousness. But when you read scripture, you got to have a systematic way to read it. That's when God really speaks to you. So what I mean by that is you got to set up a system. So, you know, there's something called Bible reading plans and there's so many different kinds. You know, you can start reading from the gospels. You can read one chapter of the gospel, one chapter of the old Testament. There's all sorts of varieties, but the key is to just choose one and submit to it. It's as simple as that. Read your Bible systematically. Don't just pop porn it every single day. Don't just say, you know, I just, I, today I just feel like this. You think you're being led by the spirit, but that's how you get deceived. You got to have it. Systematic. This is where God day in and day out, man. It's when I read my Bible systematically where I'm so surprised. Oh my how God, how did you know that on this day, what I was going through, you know what I mean? Like according to this plan on this day, you knew that this was the exact word that I needed to hear. When you do systematic reading, it will blow your mind. It will blow your mind just how intimately God speaks to us. Second thing is, so the first thing is read it. Everybody say read it. Second thing is study it. It's not enough to just read it. Often when you read scripture, you, you might get confused. Okay, you're going to read about wars. You're going to read about, you know, circumcision and David cutting off foreskins, you know, of a certain amount of men to get his bride. And you're going to be like, what the heck? You're just going to get confused. All right. Or you're going to read something in Isaiah with all these like crazy mystic, you know, prophetic words. In order to get understanding, you got to study scripture. So this is what you need to do. You need to buy a study Bible. If you don't want to pay the money, just go online and look up blueletterbible.com or biblegateway.com. And there you can find some awesome commentaries. You can see what other really smart theologians, what kind of insight that they gain from that passage. You know, one thing that I do want to say is don't believe everything on the internet because, you know, sometimes when I research for a message and I come out across certain commentaries and I'm like, dude, this is not like, this is not right. You know? And so if I were you, I'd really ask 
you know, different leaders or your small group familiar leader or the pastor, whatever. Hey, who are some commentaries that you would recommend? Or, you know, JP would be an awesome resource. He's going to seminary right now. You can be like, dude, who, you know, who are some people that I should study? What's a good commentary that you would recommend? You got to study it. And this is the part where I have the most fun. I hate studying you guys. Let me just be real here. Like I, I don't know how I graduated anything. Like I just don't like studying, but when it comes to scripture, it's really fun. It's just fun. It's just so interesting because like you learn so much more about what's going on and what once was an obscure passage also all of a sudden becomes something really incredible and deep learning the context, the history, who the author was, the author's intent. These are important things to know when you're reading something. Okay. So study it. Number one, read it. Number two, study it. Number three, meditate on it. You got to meditate on the word. And what I mean by meditate is not, um, emptying out my mind. No, meditation is simply just taking one part. You know what I would do? What I do is I read my reading for the day. And then I look for one thing that stands out. God, what's one line? Sometimes God does it like one verse really gets highlighted. And I take that one verse and I just sit and I just repeat that verse in my mind. I just meditate on it. And the key of meditation is not, it's not time to interpret scripture. It's not time to, how does, how does this apply to my life? When you meditate on scripture, what you're trying to do is allow the word to read you. Allow the word to read you. So what I mean by that is, let me give you an example of meditation from our, our reading today. Let's look at Psalm 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. Okay, let's say I'm going to choose that part to meditate. Your testimonies are wonderful. Your testimonies are wonderful. Your testimonies are wonderful. The moment I start meditating, you know what I realize? I'm confronted by unbelief. God, the truth is, sometimes I don't think your testimonies are wonderful. Sometimes I'm not in awe of scripture. You allow the word of God to shine a light in your heart. What's the nature of your heart? What's going on in your heart right now? Your testimonies are wonderful. Oh, there's unbelief. It could lead you to repentance and you can repent and you can turn. God, I repent for not thinking that your testimonies are wonderful. Not thinking that your word uh, is something that gives, puts me in a place of awe. And all of a sudden, you can allow the word of God to begin to speak to you in those ways. Or if you meditate, God can take you deeper. But it's taking a small portion of scripture and just sitting on it. And it's not meditation 15 minutes. You got to do it all day, periodically, all throughout the day. This is the hardest thing to do. Because keeping, getting control of your mind is really difficult. It's kind of like taking control of an unruly child, like the kid that's spoiled and does whatever, it's wa- whatever it wants. That's how we live with our minds. We let our minds run all over the place. It's like that spoiled kid throwing a tantrum, running around, doing whatever it wants. And all of a sudden, you want to discipline the child, and it's so hard. I was preparing uh, for the message today at DQ Mall, and I was sitting in Starbucks, and there were so many kids. And they were like, ah! You know, like taking straws and ah, like running in circles. And I'm like, what is wrong with these kids? They obviously fed them, you know, fed them sugar. And there's pororo land in the mall. So everyone's like, pororo, pororo. You know, just, oh my gosh. And seriously, I'm just sitting there like, and all the moms are running. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, just like yelling and screaming and trying to get control. It's almost like our minds have become like that because we've lacked so much discipline in controlling our thoughts. But when you learn how to meditate on scripture, what you're doing is you're learning how to control. Let the word of God control your mind. God, I'm letting the word of God. I'm letting my mind submit to scripture. Read it, study it, meditate on it. Fourth, memorize it. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, memorize it. Okay, I know that we all have smartphones, and I know that we can, you know, flip through scripture. But can I tell you something? When you're in the heat of getting tempted by the devil, you know what you're not going to do? Where's that scripture again? Oh, demon. Where's that scripture? Hold on one second. Okay, here it is. Here it is, sucker. You know? No, when you're in a fight, you don't have time to do homework then. When you get tempted, you got to know your sword right then and there. You don't take sword classes all of a sudden while the enemy's waiting for you. Like, oh yeah, I'll wait for you. No, you got to know how to yield your sword. That way when the enemy comes, it's like, come on, homie, please. You know, please. You don't even need to look. Like, you just know what's going on. You know your weapon. You got to know your weapon. That can only come from memorizing scripture. We got to memorize it. It's not enough to just know it, recall it. Oh, I think this is what it says. You've got to memorize it. I remember, oh man, I'm going really long. You guys still with me? Okay. Um, I remember my year verse, my verse of the year uh, for 2012 was Proverbs chapter two, all of chapter two. And I really focused on the first two verses of Proverbs chapter two. And I remember just like being really excited because this was God, what God was speaking to me about the whole year. And I called Pastor Benjamin and I was like, PB, Pastor Benjamin's my mentor. He's my spiritual father. And I called him. I was like, PB, guess what? I chose, uh, God highlighted a verse for me for the year. And he's like, oh, wonderful. What is it? And I'm like, it's Proverbs chapter two. And he goes, oh, wonderful. I memorized that chapter when I was 12. I was like, wait, what? And he was like, oh, God led me to memorize that whole chapter when he was 12 years old. It was like 12 or some like young age. And I was like, dang, like I just got schooled. Like I was so excited, you know, like I think I can say the first line on my own. He's like, I memorized the whole chapter. Like PB is the type of man that can memorize scripture like this. Like, oh, PB, where's that scripture again? And boom, 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 boom. Pastor John Michael, who preached last week, he's like that too. It's like, hey, Jam, where is that scripture? And you tell him some obscure thing where that woman dropped her rag. He's like, oh, yeah, you know, here it is. Like, he just knows immediately. He is a man that memorizes scripture. And that's why Pastor Jam has crazy authority. Man, if you ever see him preach, if you ever have him pray over you, it's no joke because that man knows his word. And when it comes down to it, you can get as many fancy prophetic words as you want, but if it's not anchored in scripture, it's fluffy. But all the prophetic words that have sustained in my life are the ones that have scripture attached to it. Those are the ones that have the anchor right there. Memorize it. The next thing is pray it. Read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it, pray it. When you pray, what do you pray? A lot of times we spend our, our, our prayers on praying for things that God already gave you. God, I pray for tomorrow. I pray for provision for this. And God's like, listen, I already told you not to worry about tomorrow. Don't be anxious about tomorrow. I provided for you. What, we, what are we supposed to pray? God, 
you know, I pray for this, I pray for that. Often we, we tailor our prayers to our needs. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but a more powerful thing is to pray scripture. So an example of this, just like we were reading in Psalm 119, 129. Your testimonies are wonderful. This is how I would pray that whole eight verse. I'll just give you a little tidbit. The unfolding of your words give life. Lord, I just pray that you would just open up scripture to me now. God, I pray that things that are covered, things that are hidden, I just ask that you unfold it. Holy Spirit, would you give me wisdom? Would you give me understanding so that your word would give me light? Lord, I just pray that you give me understanding so my foolish ways, the things that I've been doing, and then I can go into detail. When I yelled at my husband, you know, when I blah, 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 Lord, I pray, just give me understanding so I won't go into this foolishness again. You make scripture, what scripture says, into your prayer. Those are crazy powerful prayers. If you haven't prayed scripture, you got to start. You got to start. Praying scripture is so powerful. And often, like I said, when you pray scripture, you also have to realize that oftentimes it's, it's repentance. Because scripture will always confront your unbelief. Pray it. And the last thing is prophesy it. Pray scripture and then prophesy scripture. This is two ways. You can prophesy over someone else. Scripture, that's great. But I don't know about, I don't know if you guys know this, but you can actually prophesy over yourself. Did you guys know that? You can actually prophesy over yourself. To prophesy over yourself literally means to take, think about any prophetic word. JP, you are a man of God and you have strength and you have wisdom beyond your years. And there is wisdom that you have, not just because of your experiences, because of your devotion to the Lord. And God knows you in that secret place. He knows the times where you came to him very privately. I think of Nathaniel. When Nathaniel met Jesus, he didn't believe who Jesus was, but Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, which represents the personal prayer life, and you are a man of personal prayer and personal devotion. That's a prophetic word. You can do that same thing on yourself. God, I just thank you that you made me a woman of strength. Why? Because it's in Scripture, when I'm weak, I'm strong. God, I thank you that despite what I'm going through, I'm more than a conqueror because that's what your Scripture says. God, I thank you that you are with me. It says in your word that you are Emmanuel, and even now you are with me. Sometimes we need to know how to encourage ourselves. There are times where people wait. Will you, will you prophesy over me? You know, itching. We're going to prophesy over two people right now, and they're just saying, pick, 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 pick me, pick me, pick me. That's awesome. It's great. It's awesome to have someone pick you out and prophesy over you. But you got to learn how to speak God's word over yourself. And the way that you speak God's word over yourself is through Scripture prophesy over it, read it, study it, meditate on it, memorize it, pray it, prophesy over it. As for me, me and my household will serve the Lord. God, I know that there's division in my family right now. I know that my parents are on the brink of divorce, but God, I prophesy this verse over my family. We will serve the Lord. I prophesy reconciliation over my family. You begin to prophesy the word of God, the promises. God, I know that I'm sick. I know that my throat is killing, but Lord, it says in scripture that you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the Lord that heals by your stripes. Isaiah 53, I am healed. And so God, I just pray healing over my body. That's power. That's authority. That's scripture. It's not fancy words. It's not Christian jargon. It's scripture. And when you know your scripture, you can prophesy over yourself. Powerful things. Man, there's so many nights I cry, laying hands on my head, just prophesying over myself. 
God, you are with me. I can have joy in all circumstances. You know, just prophesying, encouraging myself in the Lord. Psalm 119, verse 103 says this, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. This is how God wants scripture to be. Not a to-do list, not what you're supposed to do because you're Christian, but he wants the word of God to be like honey, sweet like honey, that when you read scripture, it would just be like honey. You know, there is a, I'll end with this story and we'll close. One of the testimonies of a pastor who will not be named, I'll have her share a testimony later on, but she went to a conference and in that conference they were calling out preachers. And this is something that she was, you know, kind of wrestling with. Am I really a preacher? Can I really preach? And she came up to the front as an act of faith. And, um, the speaker was Heidi Baker. I don't know if you guys know Heidi Baker, but Heidi Baker was like, you know, all of us, she was saying, I just feel like God is anointing preachers in this room and you're going to begin to move your mouth uncontrollably. And so she was just at the altar and she was like, eh, you know, and God begins to speak to her. Do you love my word? She goes, I love your word. Do you love my word? She says, God, I love your word. Then why wouldn't you want to preach my word? She goes, no, God, I will preach. I will preach. And all of a sudden she opens her mouth and she sees a vision of a jar of honey. Open your mouth, Daniel. And being poured into her mouth. But watch this. She literally, not vision-wise, she literally tasted honey on her lips. It was a supernatural encounter where literal honey, the taste of honey was in her lips. And her husband was sitting next to her watching her. And she looked like this. For 30 minutes. And she looked at me and she goes, Erin, I've never tasted anything so good in my entire life. And I didn't want that moment to end. This is how we got to receive scripture. Mm. Mm, 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 mm. This is the experience that God has designed for you and I. Not, okay, let me get through this. Okay, let me memorize this because I have to memorize it. No, where the word of God becomes sweet like honey to your lips. This is God's desire for you. Don't you guys bow your heads. I'm just going to pray a corporate prayer here because we out of time. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your written word. I thank you for your spoken word. I thank you that the heavens and earth, though they pass away, your word will remain And God, you shake things in our lives on purpose so that we'll see there's only one thing that's unchanging. And that is who you are. That's in your word. That's scripture. And I just pray, Father, that all the attacks on our minds to nullify scripture, to be apathetic towards scripture, to be familiar with scripture, will be broken off right now in the name of Jesus. And God, that you will give us a fresh awe and hunger and desire that we would be panting with expectation for the revelation that we would get when we read your word. God, I just thank you that you're breaking off all futility. God, of of trying to have a discipline of reading the word where we fail time and time again. Lord, I just thank you that there is hope. And even now, Lord, that your word is raising up faith, God. 
Lord, we just pray against everything that competes against the word of God. All the other words that we hear, we pray that that would not be the standard in which we measure our happiness, our joy, our peace. But God, that the truth, the aletheia in our lives would be scripture. Lord, I just thank you that you desire to see us walk it out, to take every possession, to take every luggage of promise, to take every kitchen table of covenant, to take every uh, uh, couch of, uh, of just truth and, and revelation and bring it into our minds, to make, a furn- to make it furnish our minds that this is something we will meditate on day and day out. Just like Psalm 1, the man who meditates on the law day and night. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would just release that hunger in our hearts today. Release that hunger in our hearts today. The scripture, hunger for your scripture. Begin to stir that in our hearts. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.